Okay, so we're going to look at this business as, uh, as if we're doing due diligence on it and kind of hit the high points of how we've done due diligence in the past. And this is on early stage, not early stage, small companies, small scale companies, kind of that anybody could figure out a way to buy, just about. You know, um, more or less, it's how the average person looking to get into a business on their own through the purchase of a business should look at things before they buy them at a high level. Right. I mean, this is not details because we don't have extreme details. Yeah. So this isn't on, actually due diligence. This would be screening. Yeah. This would be kind of what we would it's do a deep screen before yeah. we made an offer to enter due diligence. But really, there's going to be enough details that come out of this looking at it from such a high level. Um, basically, we would sign an NDA. Uh, non-disclosure agreement that mm -hmm. says, you know, we're not going to steal any of these customers or tell anybody about this. Right. So this um, is right before that step. Exactly. Yeah, so right based on the information we would gather from this listing, then we would decide, do we want to sign an NDA and potentially enter into due diligence? So, right. Uh, but we'll, we'll get into that. But ju just to be clear, uh, it's just kind of how we would screen a we're, company. Yeah, we're looking at a listing with limited information, but enough information to know if we're interested in this listing or are we ready to move on. Right, exactly. So I'll give a couple of points on the listing we're looking at, just so you can kind of follow along a little bit. So what we're looking at is an equipment rental business for sale. Um, they're asking $1.2 million, which is a, a pretty big size business, and it cash flows $275,000. Um, basically they have some assets that they rent out. I mean, that's their business model. They have assets, assets generate income through people renting them from them and then returning them. Um, you know, so that's and their business model, let's right? Let's tell them where they're listing this so they can follow along. Sure. Yeah. So the listing is actually on uh, biz by sale, uh, which is a website that just sells, you know, has business listings on it. And it says it's ad number one, four, five, Eight four seven two. That may or may not be available whenever you're listening to this podcast, but as of right now, in August of 2018, it is up on their website. You can search that and find it. So, uh, profitable equipment rental business. It's 1.2 million. Cash flow is 275 thousand. So, what's the first thing you think? What's the multiple on that? Right? Well, and let's let's be very uh, let's explain everything to you because I think right there, like. People don't know what cash flow means. Okay. Right? Okay. So like the, what is cash flow? Right. Well? Right. Okay. Yeah. And so cash flow would basically be in a nutshell what you take home after everything else is paid for and accounted for. Basically that is the, the number at the end of the road. Um, the thing is you got to worry about, you got to think about on these business listings is that, Cash flow, as it's represented here, generally does not include what the owner pays themselves, if they pay themselves anything. Well, it could. It could. This one, it probably does. It but a on, lot of, well, it, yeah, it, it, de depends. it, it depends. Yeah, I, I would, I think that's it's a key thing to look for. Is it passive or is it active? Is it passive or active? Right. And that's that's a very important point, depending on how you want to invest. Because, yeah, because if you're investing and you already have a few companies, obviously you can't go in there and run that business. So mm -hmm. if it's if it makes 275000 a year, maybe you can find a manager for 
75 to a hundred thousand. Right. And then still make your, your 200,000. But, um, that's a very important detail. That's going to change your multiple. Very, very important. Very, so. very important. And so the other thing to note here is that on this listing, cash flow is equal to EBITDA. Right. And so EBITDA would be earnings before interest and taxes, depreciation, amortization. Um, so that basically means there's no debt service factored in to the cash flow number. So if you had to take a loan in order to buy this business, your cash flow would not be 275. Right. I mean, there's no way. So um, can I interrupt? Real quick? Yeah, absolutely. Okay. I just want to slow down EBITDA for a second okay. because right. that probably, that's going to throw a lot of people. Good. Okay. Good. So what that number is. So if let's say we make, Two hundred seventy-five thousand mm-hmm. uh, in profit. That that is not necessarily the number that we will pay taxes against. True. Okay. So technically, so let's say that we have we're depreciating. We'll go into what depreciation is in another episode. But but just know that when you're depreciating something, let's say we're depreciating a hundred thousand dollars, we are taking that directly from our cash flow. Yep. Meaning if we made 275,000 in this business and we are depreciating $100,000, maybe we paid $500,000 for equipment that we are supposed to appreciate over the next 5 years because it's a short-term asset. Mm-hmm. So that means in 5 years those assets are going to be considered worthless because we've already used them for 5 years. Right. Um so but we paid something for them. We can't pay taxes now against some money that we've already paid taxes for. Right. 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 So now we're going to take a fifth of that out of year one of five. We're going to take a hundred thousand. We're going to subtract it from our profit. So 275,000 minus a hundred thousand. Now we're only paying taxes on, one hundred and seventy-five thousand. Mm-hmm. But perhaps we took a loan, which we'll talk about in a minute. Right. That that interest that we're paying on the loan, we are writing that off. Now there are some key changes in the in the Trump tax plan that limits how much of that you can write off. For the first time in history, you can't write off all your interest. That's a very particular situation. It's not going to apply to most people, which is probably how it got through. Mm-hmm. Uh, we can go into details on that later. But the point is, let's say that we paid. 25,000 in interest fees. Mm -hmm. Okay. Now from that 175, 275,000 in profit minus a hundred thousand appreciation gives us 175,000 minus 25,000 in interest payments Mm -hmm. gives us 150,000. Um, so, and then there's other things, you know, there's amortization. We could have different things that lower that number, but the number we pay taxes against is going to be our profit. Our, our net profit, but that number is going to vary from business to business, from entrepreneur to entrepreneur, depending on your situation, um, according to how much you've invested, uh, you know, loan payments, et cetera. That number that you're going to actually pay taxes against may not be what the business cash flows. So, what the business cash flows is going to be the cash basis. Of the 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 cash basis of accounting tax year, right? Whether it's fiscal or not, right? Cash flow is going to be the result of the statement of cash flow, right? Right, and and that's I mean this is kind of some accounting terminology that it's it's low level, but I think it's important. You have to understand. End of the day, 
you have to have a basic understanding of these few terms in order to even begin to screen businesses. Right. So, so to clarify, EBITDA, E-B-I-T-D-A, mm-hmm. EBITDA is that number before all those things are taken out. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Exactly. And so it, that that's a key differentiator and something to be aware of because in this scenario, EBITDA, if you took a loan out on the business too, and you, and so say you took put 20% down on the, on it. And so that's $240,000. So you'd have 960 K in debt, right? Basically. And then say it's a 10 year term. And so that would be $96,000 a year before you even charged interest before you even paid any interest. So let's just keep it simple. $96,000 a year. Take that 96 a year out of your 275. And all, all right now, you're at $181,000, in cash flow, just automatically, you know, before you even think about it, like the, you're not going to make 275k a year out of this business unless you have 1.2 million well, in your pocket. At, at, yeah, at five percent ten year, you'd probably be paying about 96 plus 48, 144 a year. That's instantly off the table. Instantly before anything else, right? And so your cash flow is cut in half. Oh yeah. I mean, what what is advertised versus what you will put in your pocket? Now it's cut in half, and then you've got to pay some taxes too. Right. And so you're talking about you if you bought this business. You might walk away with 120 a year. You might in the best case scenario. Okay, exactly. Great point. 120 a year. Remember, the asking price for this business is $1.2 million. Mm-hmm. So if we know that if we buy it from our situation with the debt we have to take mm-hmm. uh, and what will, you know, et cetera, we will be left with 120000 That is a multiple of 10. So when we use the term multiple, we're saying, how? What number do I have to multiply the profit by to get the value of the business? Uh-huh. Right. The value of this business, in their opinion, is one point two million. If I buy a business for one point two million and I make a hundred and twenty thousand a year, before we start talking about taxes, that's ten years right there before we even start talking about taxes. Yeah. Yeah. So you know, once we're looking at above ten years. For a business like this, we might start saying, okay, maybe we should start looking at some stocks. Exactly. Right? We've just realized our multiple is going to be above 10. Yeah. We will get, we will write off or, or we, we will have depreciation and amortization that comes back into effect. We'll, we'll get that back. So it'll be close to 10 years. Right. But that's a pretty high multiple. That's, well, and, so- and it's important to understand what is a high multiple. You know, one thing we need to do. So this is called an equipment rental business. We would want to pull up immediately, you know, in the area at the Denver, we're in Denver. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, you know, we pull up any others that are in Colorado, maybe Wyoming in New Mexico, and then look at some across the, uh, the nation mm-hmm. and take a good sample size and run the day together and see what the average asking multiple is. And then we may instantly find that most of these businesses um, what is that? Real quick? What is what is this multiple two seventy five? It's four point three. Okay, so from current numbers. Okay, so this multiple is four point three. We may find that that is a really high multiple. That these at these companies typically go for a multiple of two point eight. Right, and so, so and, and four point three is 
1.2 million as the numerator and 275,000 as the denominator. Exactly. Then, We're dividing the cash flow into the asking price. Yeah. Yeah. And that's the high level. So what do we think we're going to walk away with if we did this after debt and everything else? That's 10. We think the multiple is going to be 10. So put, stated differently, the multiple is the same thing as the return on investment if you divide 100 by the multiple. So if you divide 100 by 10, you have 10%. That's your ROI. If you divide 100 by 4.3, you have whatever that is. You know, It's like 22%. That's your ROI if you're actually making those. So just stated a little bit differently. And that's what you have to think about also that can be translated into years. So 4.3 years is how long it takes you to earn your investment back. If you make $275,000 a year into your pocket and you pay 1.2 million for the business, it's going to take you 4.3 years before you break even. Basically is how to look at that. Right. If it's 10, if your multiple is 10, it's going to take you 10 years before you break even. These are, these are things that, that you have to like, so stated even differently, is this business viable for 10 years or what asset investments do you have to make over the next 10 years in order to keep it at its current level? You're renting equipment, remember? So does a tractor break down? Does it become obsolete? What happens over the next 10 years? That's, that's risk is what that is. And you it may reduce your multiple. I mean, it may increase your multiple. It may make it even more so because you may have to take on more debt. And so you reduce your cash flow. These are all just high level things you have to imagine whenever you're evaluating this company at this level, it's too expensive. Yeah. I would off the top just say, well, it depends on what would it really look like? You know, at 4.3, it doesn't seem expensive at 10. It seems expensive. expensive. So it would depend on if we bought this business, are we looking more at 275 or Mm -hmm. 120? Um, Well, and so what is expensive? Expensive is in comparison to, very low risk investments you can make in the stock market. Yeah, it's yeah, it's well, it's every market. The stock market, market any, yeah. anything else you could do to get a return on your money, right? Um, and for stock market folks, uh, this is the same as earnings divided by market cap. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. It's like PE, but uh, it's uh, or kind of, but it, it's a it's something that that you just have to measure your risk reward, like in absolutely everything you do risk reward. And just know that the higher ROIs or the lower multiples are going to be found in private equity because it takes sweat to keep them going. And there's more risk. Well, there's less liquidity and there's less liquidity. You can't turn around and sell private equity the next day. You know, it's going to take you, we have a business for sale right now. Uh, a, a part of our venue business that we've mm-hmm. carved off as yourself. And it's been on the market for about a month now. Mm-hmm. We've had about five inquiries uh-huh. about, or one that is serious. Uh-huh. And uh, at the end of the day, it wouldn't be surprising if it takes us three, four months to sell this. If it was bigger, you know, we might could expect a little bit longer. Mm-hmm. You know, it was a uh, not as common company it would take even longer. Um, it could easily take a year to sell the business. You know, I would say uh, that that's that's probably common. Six months to a year is the minimum you can expect to be able to offload a company that generates even reasonable cash flow, like like le- even less than hundred k. But still, like, but it, 
it's just hard to sell a company in private in the private market. Right. There's right. too many variables. There's too much that invest not investors, potential purchasers are skittish of it because they're worried like if there's any shenanigans and so you have to keep clean books and it's just a whole a whole different process and it's very difficult. There's no liquidity and, and as a result there's more risk. And that's another way that stocks can be good practice just for looking at you know financials and uh, and making decisions because you you get into a business like this an equipment rental business for 1.2 million if that's your whole nest egg which a lot of times for private equity that's what people are doing they're putting up everything they have i mean you better have a game plan if that doesn't work out you know right. and so you're going to be stuck with this business it's going to take you a while to get rid of it it's going to be a fire sale when you do versus a stock that you can turn around and sell right. the next minute you right know? So, so you'll pay for that liquidity for sure. But uh, it's just if you're talking about a multiple that when you work it out, you know, maybe it's advertised as a multiple of four, but when you work it out for you, it's going to be a multiple of 10. And then you realize, you know, I could be getting multiples of 20 over here for, uh, you know, way less than half the work and way less than half of the risk. Uh, exactly like, like, like 10 percent of the risk or yeah. even less you know so yeah. it can it can get you active and moving um and and kind of making the right decisions well, thinking about things like stock logic applies to private yeah, equity. it's the same thing it is the exact same you thing. just have buying, to have operational experience you have buying, to, be able to operate buying a stock is the same thing it's buying a piece of a company and it is no different than buying private equity right it's no different right so let's talk about how it's priced and how, like, uh, so asking price one point two million, annual revenue seven hundred thousand, inventory four hundred ninety thousand. So the way it's basically priced is revenue plus assets, right? Because FF and E is ten thousand, inventory is four hundred ninety thousand. That's five hundred thousand. Gross revenue seven hundred thousand. Seven hundred plus five hundred is one point two million. That's how they priced it, which is ludicrous. I, I don't know how. All right, I, that's that's kind of a, a, a bad statement. It seems it seems like not the right way to price it. Yeah, they're pricing the revenue. They're they're pricing the assets that generate the revenue separately from the revenue. Which I don't know if that's the way that I would go about. That, that yeah, seems it's like high. it's like they're selling the the goodwill plus the assets. They're selling the goodwill plus the assets, and the goodwill is simply the the cash generated by the assets unless it just coincidentally you know it just lies uh, yeah that, that's it doesn't the case. seem yeah, yeah. It, it, that doesn't seem like the case but I, I mean in, in these things uh, assets and goodwill shouldn't necessarily be priced out and included in the prices like two different things we should price slow down I hate to keep doing this we, we should we, no I think it's okay. good that you slow so, down so assets mm -hmm. if we buy um, a equipment rental business and it has six bulldozers. Those are all assets mm -hmm. and that adds up. To, I don't know what bulldozers cost, but that adds up to 150,000, right? 150,000 of assets are on our balance sheet. Okay. Mm -hmm. Let's say that we pay 1.2 million for this business. Um, the assets are 500 K. Uh, so our balance sheet, will show 500,000 in assets, but there's still $700,000 that has to be reflected on our balance sheet because we paid 1.2 million. 
mm-hmm. for this business. So that 1.2 million, that other 700,000, you know, where does it go? It has to, it has to stay on that balance sheet in some form. Um, so some of it, you know, there could be some cash that comes with this business. There could be other things that make up some of that. Uh, but at the end of the day, we're going to have several hundred thousands of dollars that has to be accounted for. Mm-hmm. So it's going to be labeled goodwill. Um, and basically, I shouldn't use the term opposite, but it, it's almost like goodwill is the opposite of assets. You know, assets are depreciated. Goodwill is amortized, not to be confused with a long amortization chart for the mortgage on your home. Right. Um, right. And that's just a, another problem with financial terms are confusing. Um, but so your, your assets and your goodwill are going to be the assets are the actual physical, um, well, tangible, that's the right word. Yeah. Yeah. So the rest, the other stuff, the, uh, the other money that you're paying for, we have to call it something. So the word that we use is goodwill. That's the label. Right. Um, so I know it's a little confusing, but assets are depreciated. Goodwill is amortized and together goodwill and assets make up the value of the business or the asking price. Yeah. Right. But that doesn't necessarily mean that revenue should equal goodwill. Or good Absolutely not. That I don't know where that came. From. That's that's the point here. Is like, <laughs> is is if goodwill equals revenue, then it better be like really solid and it's and it's market dominance. Basically, you know that's kind of the way it seems. Um, which that's one of the points on the listing is that it's the only rental company around. That's just something to think about. The so. Without jumping around too much, but I think that's kind of what the episode is, is like just analyzing a business. And that's generally what you do is you just think about a bunch of different points. And generally, they for us, they start off negative. And they kind of should start off negative because the whole point about analyzing a business is seeing if it's worth what they're asking for. And so we're trying to chop down the worth. We're trying to say, no, it's not worth this or and this is why. And that's, or it may be worth this. And this is why if we can't find anything negative, but generally you can find some negatives in order to kind of begin to negotiate on. Um, so we talked about having $120,000 in our pocket at the end of the day after we've paid debt service, but that's paying asking price. That doesn't include any startup costs. And even if you're buying a turnkey business, a lot of times you're going to have startup costs in some form or fashion. You're going to have to, restock inventory because it's dwindled while you left or while during the due diligence process, it began to dwindle. That's natural. That happens. You're going to have to put cash in the cash registers. It may not be much, but there's something you're going to have to fund some, whatever software that they're using for accounting and HR and all these other things. Now they may be small, but you could run into $50,000 worth of startup costs in a $1.2 million business easy. Well, a lot of the times, like what we find is that they aren't spending what they should. On, like the business is lagging mm-hmm. and it really needs to be updated technologically. Exactly. And there's services or, or their SaaS that we would be using um, that we go in and instantly are subscribing to things that that business needs, but right. they just weren't paying for it. Right. And so instantly you have some cost without any reward. Right. I mean, you're going to have to put a deposit down on your insurance. Generally, you're going to pay your first months of insurance. That's going to be 
a thousand bucks, you know, and, and something like this, at least there's, there's all kinds of little things. I mean, the other thing, how long before you get paid? What's your, what's your AR schedule look like? Is it 30 days? Is it 60 days? Is it immediate? How do you finance um, your payroll for the first two weeks to a month? It's going to be 50 grand at least, or else you might find yourself in a hole pretty quickly. That's not even factored into our debt service. So there goes another five, six, seven K a year in cash flow from your, from your um, $50,000 you have to get a loan for basically in order to do this. Um, unless you find us in cash, but still let's just say that's factored into the loan. That, I mean, that's a big chunk. That's a big chunk. Now we're down to 115 K a year, right? Is what it looks like. Now let's look at this. The property that the equipment rental place sits on is owned by the seller. He will rent it back to the buyer for 2,500 a month. 2,500 a month is 30 grand a year. And in lease expense that is not factored into the cash flow. Right. Great point. So now we're down to 85 K a year in cash flow. Right. Is what we're down to. Right. That is best case scenario. As far as I'm concerned, you may not even make 275 K the first year you operate. I'm the best case scenario is 85 K. Yeah. We're, we're talking about a decade and a half. We're talking about a decade and a half. If you paid their asking price, we didn't pick this because we thought it was bad. In fact, we didn't even do any analysis on it before we picked it. Right. We just we just picked it because it looked interesting. But I don't know how you get any better than that. I think I mean that's not even a conservative view. I don't think that's yeah, taking right numbers. off. If just instantly you're seeing that sort of picture, yeah, you know it's time to move on. It's time to move on. I mean that's just based on real numbers. We're not even estimating that first year under new ownership sales will be lower, which they probably will be. We're not estimating that HR expenses will probably be higher whenever you're in there because they probably will be. Now here's the, here's the good thing. This is a business that's been operated for 10 years. So it's got some market presence. It's probably has an owner who's getting pretty tired of things. And so it's probably not as efficient as it could be. There's probably some things in there that could be cut some costs that could be easily be cut and you could probably help your margins a little bit. I mean, that's what we find a lot of. Yeah. In fact, we talked about that on one of the episodes. We did. We did. We talked about cutting costs versus increasing sales. And there's usually going to be some. In fact, there's going to be typically, honestly, there's probably going to be a lot more areas to cut costs and to come in and bring new expenses that the business wasn't needing. However, the other expenses, not that just the business was needing, but all the startup costs you were talking about, right. that's going to be in there. So you right. you definitely need a margin of safety, not juice, not just for... Uh, future cash flows, but for, you know, initial buying costs that are just going to be there, some percentage, you know, kind of thrown at that. Right. And so the thing is that you typically run into whenever you're looking at these business listings is that, oh, this owner, they never even did any sales. They never even, they never even tried to market or you do this and you can double your sales. So the problem with that sales technique is that if you wanted to do sales, you wouldn't be buying a business, right? Most people are You'd shopping a business one. because they exactly. Yeah. I mean, cause why would you buy a business whenever you could just, if you want to do sales, that's a, if you're a salesperson, start a business, that's your, that's your avenue. You know, like that's the hardest part about starting a business is selling people on it 
why would you buy something in order to do more sales? I mean, maybe some people would, but that's just not a reason to buy a business. Right. A reason to buy a business is because it's a good deal with solid income that's sustainable. Yeah, it's the wrong market to say that to. It's the wrong market to say that to. Yeah. So I mean, that's just something we've heard before. Like you should be aware. And of just to be clear, it doesn't take 1.2 million to get in, into private equity. There are lots of businesses for sale for a couple of hundred thousand, three, four hundred thousand commonly. You know, mm -hmm. I would say probably the average small business that I don't know. I shouldn't even try probably, to quote it. I would say 200 probably. I, would bet I don't know if it's lot, that low, but I bet, it, I bet it's half a million or so. Oh, yeah. Decent businesses. Yeah. Well, decent. just, you know, the average scenario with um, the the father and mother of three that's in their working on it for. Yeah, and they said, "Hey, we're going to do something," and they find the, the I don't know the fast food chain that they got to right. have, you know, right? Show a certain net worth for, and they got to spend seven hundred thousand or whatever, right? But that just seems to be kind, of, or the laundromats that you know maybe there's one location and it's four hundred k or something. I don't know. Well, and so, uh, but there's, there's opportunities out there for four hundred for the the price of a house. Think Easily. about it that way. Easily. What you spent on your home. And think about it in kind of that perspective, from that perspective. Can I have two houses? Could I risk having another house that was, you know, ideally it makes me money, but it could become a liability. It could become a and liability. Uh -huh. that if you get a loan for the business, that's a perfect way to think about it. Be mm -hmm. prepared for another house. That's what it is. It's a house that you're renting out, basically, although you're working on it right. full time, generally. So that that's uh, that kind of segues into another part to think about of due diligence, and it's why are they selling? Now they're going to tell you they're retiring or they're moving or they're doing. They're going to give you some high level, not really true reasoning on why they're moving on, and it's important to think about why they may be moving on. Are they losing a big customer? That should be part of that. They, they should. They need to disclose that to you. Is a big corporate competitor coming in town? What I mean, do they have a big maintenance expense coming up? Why are they getting out of it? It's just you know you, you need to be cynical on that part. It, you got to right. be cynical because usually there's a lot to be revealed in why they are getting out. Some people actually are retiring. Some people actually need to get rid of it because they have a corporate job and can't don't have the time to service it now that this isn't to say that no reason's a good reason or any reason is a good reason to be getting out of it but it's just you gotta be very cynical on that part but there are a lot of people that are in over their heads mm -hmm. and they're never going to disclose that and that's typically more opportunity for a better deal it is so, yeah and as and the more you know the more experience you get You'll, and honestly, we've only been through three due diligences. That's true. As far as private equity. Sure. You've yeah. been through a lot more. Uh, but it's as, the as same. A fund manager. Yeah, but, but it's different. Yeah, it's um, different. But you'll get better at kind of understanding the situation therein, especially if you focus in an, on an expertise, like you're mm -hmm. buying the same type of business over and over. You, you'll start realizing um, kind of where they're getting squeezed at, and you'll start knowing the right things to look for. Uh, I know we've made a lot of notes of things that we are going to be looking for 
on our next due diligence of a certain type of business. Mm-hmm. Uh, just because now running that type of company, we know all the areas that maybe are not obvious on the surface, but where people could be getting hurt. So we know exactly where to go in and look at for a few things to see what kind of position they might be in. We know a few yeah. signs to immediately look for just to get their situation. Um, because I, w- I would say at least half the time they're selling because they're, they really need to, or they're in a tight. So, I mean, I it's, mean, t- it's a, yeah. you got to remember like that 1.2 million, like we talked about, that's hard to get rid of people. People get real upside down with the house. Imagine a business, right? Right. It's tough to get this thing that get now, and not only a house, you just got to live in and pay the note A business. You got to get up every day and operate. And you're stuck. You are if stuck. If you don't go do it, how are you going to pay your debt service? How are you going to pay your bills? Exactly. You're going to lose customers. It's not something that you can just say, you know what? I don't feel like doing it. You know, you're there and you can't quit operating it until you sell it. And that's the situation a lot of people are in. They're, they're just in over their heads. They and, don't want to be subject to the stresses of entrepreneurship. And if your income isn't covered through other investments already, and this is like your first business, You've got to figure out how to pay yourself plus get your money back in that time frame. Yeah. So not only do I have to get that 1.2 million back over the next 4.3 years, but I've got to pay myself to pay my bills each of those 4.3 years. Well, yeah, I have to have a salary or something. So that comes straight out of that. And you're so you're paying yourself 65. And that's what the multiple really is. You know, that would be something we would take away from the cash flow, our debt service. If we had any Uh salaries, if we were going to be the people working in there, Mm -hmm. paying ourselves, if there's not a manager, a manager, Uh uh, you know, that's that final number that we get will be what we use uh, to calculate our multiple. Right. Uh, But that's really what we're getting at is. When you look at a business for sale, you want to be looking at what is the asking price and what will I make with this business when I go into the debt that I have to go into? Or maybe I don't, but right. I need to understand maybe I'm running it. Maybe, you know, this is not a passive sort of opportunity or maybe I'm going to have to put a manager in. Right. Uh, but how long will it take me to get my money back on top of paying myself every year? It, it- if in this scenario, it's almost infinity. Not really. It, yeah, it's like twenty years yourself, now. If yeah. you're paying yourself eighty k a year, if you're paying yourself fifty k a year, that what is that? Fifty thirty five into one. It's like thirty years. It's like thirty. It's like a thirty multiple, basically. I mean, it's insane. That just invest in a stock, right? Because you're going to get five percent. Invest in a dividend stock that pays four to five percent, and Ride the growth out. Put six hundred grand into two stocks. Should be safer grand. than you are with this. Significantly with this safer, yeah. But that is the risk of entrepreneurship. That's the risk of private equity. If you don't risk it, you're not going to make it. You know, and like it's just going to take a lot longer to snowball four percent a year versus thirty percent a year. And that's why we do it. That's yeah. why we go into and it. And don't get eager on something like this. Like when you look at a business, really easy to go put yourself as the person owning that. Go, man, I could be making two hundred seventy-five thousand a year. Just don't be scared to pass it up because there's so many opportunities out there. Exactly. Just keep shopping and maybe just have a rule that, you know, you don't you don't allow yourself to enter into due diligence until you've been shopping for six months. You know, like yeah. let some opportunities go. Get excited about some things and watch them go away. Yeah. Don't get attached to things. There that, will be more, more opportunities. There will be more opportunities. And, and the thing is, just kind of follow these 
things that we've talked about, I think they're pretty easy. Screen companies along these lines. Think of them along these lines. Think about why it's priced the way it's priced and and what are the risks of paying that price, kind of like we talked about. Think about if cash flow actually is as stated and and work on it from there and then compare it to the basically a riskless investment in either like a treasury or a really safe stock and think about if it's worth your time to do this versus investing in a stock. Exactly. And that's that's how you're going to be screening businesses now. Beyond that, it gets even more in detail and in going into financial statements and possible problem areas for things to hide and everything along those lines, which I'm sure we'll cover one of these days. Um, but, you know, this is what you need to do to start screening them and then uh, kind of go from there. Right. You got any more points? Yeah, I okay. do. Uh, so let's say that we liked this business and uh-huh. we want to take the next step. Um, the broker who has an uh, a little contact form on this page, we would contact, so we would go through their form. Um, and so it's important to know a broker's perspective. So think about a broker like a real estate agent, but I'm going to highlight a big difference. Mm-hmm. A real estate agent, um, they're trying to sell a home. They may have an open house and 15 people come through. The more, the merrier on that day, right? They may show it five or six times before it sells over a month. Um, that's fine. The homeowners or, you know, they schedule uh, for them to be away. The realtor comes, walks them through. Bottom line is it doesn't matter. The more people that see the house, the better for the homeowners and the realtor, because there's mm-hmm. a better chance it's going to sell mm-hmm. for a better price. Cause you'll have more offers on the table. That is not how business brokers work. Their job is to have the first person that walks through the house buy the business because they can't run the risk of competitors or people that are looking to get into that market, have customer list, you know, just know what's going on in the operation. It's just risky. You can't be shopping your business out. People knowing that you're for sale. It's a, it's thing. It's a very private thing. Typically people don't want anyone to know they're selling. They don't even, a lot of the times their employees don't especially customers. Managers don't know. Right. So, They're very particular about it. So the broker's job is to vet the buyers way before they get into the due diligence phase. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, So they're immediately, um, you know, a good broker is immediately asking questions to kind of see what, you know, kind of get as much information out of you for free. Basically what I mean for free, like they're not having you sign anything, write anything down. They're just kind of talking to you for, 20 minutes and get some stuff out of you. Mm-hmm. And then they understand is this person serious or not before they kind of start moving forward. But a lot of people, especially brokers that aren't going to have the intellect to kind of pick up on that. Cause that is a skill. It's a skill. Um, they are immediately going to ask for your net worth. And so you'll, you'll need to disclose how much money you have. So the first step may just be kind of socking away cash. And to some point exactly. getting into business you need to do that. Then you might need to save for a year or two. You need to kind of create a cash bill. And if you're not at least worth some amount, you're going to run into hurdles. So the less you are, the more hurdles you'll run into. Exactly. The, the less net worth you have. So it doesn't mean that you have to always have the net worth of that business. That's a great plus because if you have that much cash on hand, you're immediately in. You show them that, you prove that, and 
you're going to get in. But if you're going to struggle to prove things, it just makes them that much less likely to open the doors for you. So they're just expect to be kind of screened. Expect right? to be screened. Yeah. And don't be offended and be try to be easy to work with and show them everything they want to see. And know that if you're shopping a business outside of your net worth, and this is just a good rule of thumb in general, like if the banker doesn't want to lend to you, you know, or the broker doesn't want to sell to you, maybe this risk is too big for you. Maybe they're looking at something you're not looking at. If you don't have the net worth to be shopping for this business, maybe you don't have any business doing that. It doesn't mean you have to have that net worth. It means you need to take a second thought about it. If you're finding hurdles, it may be a good thing those hurdles were there. Maybe you need to buy a business that you have all the cash for. So um, just don't be discouraged when your net worth comes up and you start having to prove things. Uh, That's a good thing. Uh, It can keep you in line. That's great advice. That is is really great advice on on basically taking taking a, a hurdle as a sign that maybe you should reevaluate. Right. A hurdle you can't jump very easily. Right. Um, yeah, lower the bar. Yeah, lower the bar. Lower the bar to where the hurdles you can hop over. There are hurdles you can hop over. That, I mean, that yeah, that's solid. That's, that's really solid advice. Um, but, yeah, just know that, you know, you're not going to get a lot of information as well until you kind of – you at, to some degree, you have to be serious from afar. You mm-hmm. have to know, okay, I'm all, I, w- I could if the if everything is as I think it is, I could sign a letter of intent mm-hmm. uh, and move on into uh, due diligence. Um, so you would sign a non-disclosure agreement. Um, you would probably get some more information there, and then you, based on that, you would sign. You, you would offer a letter of intent, and meaning, hey, if everything is as I believe it is meaning if it makes what it claims to make at the end of the year. Now you can, that's a whole nother episode probably in talking about clawbacks and mm-hmm. how you determine all Structuring of that. these agreements. Sure. Yeah. But, uh, but that would be the next step you would enter into due diligence and, and get serious. So at some point, you know, it doesn't mean you have to know that you're going to get this business, but you do have to be serious from afar to some degree before you get in. And then your nose have to be for good reasons. It has to be for issue. You got to be prepared to buy this business once you enter into due diligence. You got to be prepared. Yeah, exactly. And as far as due diligence goes, there may be a timeline on due diligence. Like generally there will be, but negotiate that. If you feel like you need two months instead of one month, that's okay. Just keep in mind they're not going to go too far out because they don't want you to tie them up in due diligence and then not buy. But you know, if you're new to this, like make sure you have the time you need. There's, you know, pretend like this is your life because it is. Right. So like, do everything you can. Go as deep as you can on it. Um, it's not scary. It's just something you have to be thorough on. Right. Yeah. It's not scary. Yeah. Don't let it be daunting. Yeah. It's not daunting. It shouldn't be. I mean, it's exciting is what it is. Um, it's, it's more fun going through it with partners. I'll tell you that. Exactly. Yeah. (laughs) But, uh, it's something you could do on your own too, if you needed to, but, uh, just weigh all the risks, you know, there's, there's a lot more. That's what you gotta be concerned about. Due diligence is finding reasons not to invest, you know, basically you're, you're looking or not to buy in this scenario. It's, uh, it's assessing everything and, and seeing if it's worth your while. That's the end of the day what it is. But um, Yeah, I'm good. Okay. 
I think I think that's the uh, the moral of that story. I, I hope that there's some value there. Um, I wish we would have had a framework the first time we tried it. You know, <laughs> yeah. so I think that's what we're trying to provide is just the things to look at, a little bit of experience, and then uh, and we'll provide a, we'll provide a path soon for questions to come in. Yeah, uh, yeah, we're gonna and work. We still want to do a live stream here here soon. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So this is uh, number six for us. I think that we'll uh, we'll get on a few of those other things and hopefully open up to questions and everything else here soon. So uh, that's all. All right, so long.